Proverbs 3, 1 through 12. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find good success in the si- favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. This is all so good, God. What a great passage from your word. And it calls us to trust and to not trust. It calls us to good desires and away from bad desires. And it just reminds us, God, how faithful you are. And it would be so sad if we heard your word with our ears and did not let it sink into our hearts and affect our attitudes and our feet and the way that we relate ourselves to you, God. Help us, help us to hear your word and receive it like treasure and let it shape us and transform us and help us be reminded of who you truly are. You are a good God. In Christ's name we pray, amen. got a biblical truism. I think it's a biblical truism. Every human has a goal in life. Everybody wants something. And everybody also takes a path to get that goal. But there, if you sum all the, all the paths up that people take, there's really only two paths. I think you can see that in the Bible. Everybody's got a goal. Everybody's pursuing that goal but there's really only two paths that people are taking at the end of the day to get the goal that they want. Here's, I, th- I, think, I think the old Nebraska state slogan summed it up really well. Nebraska, the good life. The new one's not very good. Sorry, if that, in my opinion. That's, that's it, right? That's the goal, the good life. And Nebraska's offering us something, too. Come to Nebraska. Take the path of Nebraska, and you'll have the good life. 
you'll have the good life in Nebraska, and we love that, right? The problem is there's other states that all have their own opinion. Offering other paths to that one goal. We want to live a good life. We want to have a good life, have good things happen. To be on the right side. And scripture is also absolutely committed, and this is really abrasive, but scripture's committed to the teaching, and you see it all over Proverbs, that if you're a follower of Christ, you're on, one of, you're on one of those two paths. You're not on the other one. And this is the really abrasive part. Everybody else, if you're not following the Lord, if you're not submitted to Christ, if you're not surrendered to Christ, you're with everybody else. You're not on that path to the good life. You're going after something. You're going after good. You want it to be good. Nobody doesn't want good to happen in their life. But the path that you're taking if you're outside of Christ is not a good path. Pursuing something that will not satisfy. Looks different in everybody's life. Different dreams, different work. All seeking good though. One goal, different paths. And there's only really two paths. And this passage is a picture of the Christian path. Proverbs 3, 1 through 12. And it also shows us, the, it shows us the path that everybody else is taking too. And, and I really want to, to go through this. And I think what the father in this passage is, is trying to say to his son, he's, he's saying, here's the good path. Take this path. It's going to be worth it. There's, there's a couple ways to read this passage and be confused, I think. Um, what I think the biggest challenge I have, and maybe, maybe you're having this too, is you read it and you create a dichotomy in your mind. You, you say to yourself, well, does the Father want me to trust in the Lord? Is that his overwhelming desire? Or, here's the dichotomy, does the Father in this passage really want me to have a good life? And the father in this passage is saying, yes. He's saying, I want you to trust in the Lord because there are blessings for you if you trust in the Lord. If you want a good life, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord and it's gonna be, you're, you're, you're gonna live a good life. Your life will will be good. There shouldn't be a dichotomy, but we, we try and create that. We try and make them separate in our minds. There's six commands in this passage, and this is why the dichotomy is created. Six commands and each with a promise right after it. You can see it there, right? Don't forget my teaching for length of days and years of life. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness, that's verse three, so you will find favor and good success. There's six commands and each has a, a corresponding promise of good. Do this and good and the result will be good. So we're gonna go through these. There's six of them. Five of them have corresponding promises, rewards that promise good and the sixth one is an explanation 
that, that helps us understand the whole passage, verses 11 through 12. So we want to look at first, what, what's the path? What's he calling us to? Because he's got six commands. And when you read a biblical command, your ears perk up, right? This is plain as day. Do this. We're going to look at those commands and then look at the, the, the promises. And then, and then we're going we're gonna to ask and answer, hopefully, how do I know I'm on the right path? The two paths, the one that's trusting, the, the one that's going tr- really toward tr- what's truly good, and then the other one that's going towards what, what, the, what Proverbs would call as folly. How do I know I'm on that right path? So let's dive into it. Let's look at these and, and, and see if we can, we can find our way into the, the wisdom. So first, so first is, is what's the path? What's the path he's calling to you? And, and the path, it's clear. He's calling us to trust in the Lord, trust, honor, fear the Lord, hold fast to the Lord. That's, that's the command, and, and that's the path that he tells you to take. If you want good to happen, follow the Lord. I want to break them up into two. Let's look at verses one through four first because the emphasis in those two commands is to hold fast to what you've been taught, right? Verse, um, verse one, do not forget my teaching, all right? So he's, he's, he's speaking now as we've been progressing through Proverbs. He's speaking to someone who isn't the simple necessarily who, was, who woman wisdom was calling out to in chapters one and two. You who are simple, turn in here. This is a son who is, who is, who is bought in. I think this is very applicable to the Christian church today. If you, you claim to Christ, claim to hold fast to Christ, this is who he's speaking to. He's, he's speaking to people that, are, that, have, that, that find some value already because he says, hold on to it. You've got something there, hold fast to it. Do not forget my teaching. You've heard it before, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. So hold fast. You've had it before. Cling to it now. And there's going to be good. It's going to be good for you. Length of days, years of life, and peace, they will add to you. Don't let go of this. It's worth it. That's the tenor of, of really most of Proverbs 3. If not necessarily warnings, but promises of, of good that is coming. Now, there's a problem probably that some of us, you know, we're, we're reading this and, 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 and we see the promise and, and the Mr. Skeptic in, my, in our head, or Miss, is, or Miss, or whatever. Your skeptic, your inner skeptic says, wait a second. What about cancer? What about all this stuff? Hold on to that. He's gonna address that. But in Proverbs, the promise generally is, if you trust in the Lord, it's gonna be good. No matter what it looks like, it's gonna be very good for you if you are trusting in the Lord. 
Second command, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. All right? Again, something you've heard, something you've witnessed, something you've had a taste of, don't let go of that thing. Christianity, again, this is, this is, this is very Christian. We don't go, go to new and novel things constantly. We hold on to old truths that, that are ancient from the foundation of the world. Next week we'll see wisdom was with God in the foundation when the worlds were, were made. We don't look to the new and the novel. We hold fast to the teaching. Steadfast love, let not steadfast love forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And then where's the promise? You see in verse four, so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. This is a special statement. This is such a special statement. So in your, in your Old Testament studies, the word for steadfast love is a characteristic of God. It's like uh, another way to, uh, other, other verse, uh, ref, Bible uh, translations would call it loyalty. Loyalty, the kind of love that, that holds on to you. The best example of God's steadfast love is in the way that he um, first sh- chose Israel. Um, in Deuteronomy, God tells them, you weren't the biggest, you weren't the greatest, you were, you were the smallest of the nations, but I chose you. I'm sticking with you. It's the kind of love that, that reaches out and, and, doesn't, and doesn't let go. And, and it, that steadfast love and faithfulness are what, now, now that's God's character. And now, and now this father is pointing to his son and he says, don't let steadfast love forsake you. You be loyal. You be faithful. God is the one who's faithful. He shows his faithfulness to you. You see that, you witness that. Israel witnessed that. In Christ, we witness that, the love of God. And, and he says, you apply that now in your life, you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. So you take, you see that God's a God of steadfast love and loyalty. He's shown it to me and now I pour it out. Loyalty, steadfast love on, on, on those around me because I've seen it in God. It would be, wouldn't it be an oxymoron if, if the loyalty of God stopped with us? I'm gonna take this loyalty and faithfulness that you've given me, God, but I'm not gonna be loyal and faithful in, in, in my life. That would, be, that would be a misunderstanding of the, of the love that you've been shown. They haven't earned it yet. You know, that's the excuse. They haven't earned it yet. They weren't nice to me, so I don't need to be nice to them. But he says, hold on to his teaching 
Hold on to steadfast love and faithfulness. Don't let them forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Wear them like a necklace. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Let loyalty and faithfulness be part of of your, your desires and the direction that you, you seek to go. All right, so the first thing in, in these commands is to hold fast. You've seen these things in God and his kindness to you. You hold fast to Christ. And now let's look at, at the second set of those commands, which is, the most famous proverb of all starts there in, in, verses, in verse five. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. That's the, that's, so we've got the first two commands, the, the, the calling to hold on to what you've been taught. And now he's, he's going back into the teaching. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Notice this is an active trust. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Live your life trusting in the Lord. Active trust. And he will make your paths straight. It's right laid out there for us. It's just what is maybe love was so lovely and irritating is what do you add to that? Truth from God's word. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Again, There's the command, put your trust in the Lord. What does trusting look like? Not leaning in my own understanding. There is a way that I could go that I think is right, and that way is death. That's my way. But the father says to the son, so the father says to the son, Trust in the Lord and in the way that he tells you to go, no matter what your way tells you to go and no matter what your way says about God's way, go his way. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. That's good for us. What a command with a corresponding promise that the result is gonna be good. Second, be not wise in your own eyes, or I guess fifth, five of the first six. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. See the parallel lines there? Be not wise in your own eyes. So just like leaning in your own understanding. So there's a path that you could call wisdom and it's wisdom in your own eyes. And your father, the father here is saying, your path is evil. Do not be wise in your own eyes. AKA, fear the Lord. Have reverent respect for the Lord and his way. And turn away from evil. So many of us can be just on the verge of belief thinking, I'm not certain I can give up control. 
because I'm not convinced that God's way is gonna be better than my own wisdom. If I give this up and fear the Lord and surrender, it might not work out for me. But he's saying, if you don't, you're, you're in the path of evil. But we can be on that verge there that it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's the, the ledge of unbelief thinking that if I surrender and fear and I, and I give this to God, my life, I don't know if it's gonna work out okay. What does God say? It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. The promise is, if you do this, if you take the, 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 that leap and trust in the Lord, it's gonna be good for you. It's not gonna be bad. Last one. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. So there's the command and then the promise. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Now, red flags go off there, right? And we're gonna address those. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Is this prosperity speaking here? If all I gotta do is honor God with my wealth and you know, give a little, give $100 and God will plant, plant, plant that seed and God will reap it 100 fold. It's just practical wisdom. Let's just look at the practical side. What does it mean to honor the Lord with my wealth? It's right there. Is there more elaboration needed? With the first fruits of my produce, I show God with, with, my, with my wealth that he's king over it. I'm gonna honor him with it first. I'm gonna give it all to him. The first fruits of your produce, what comes out of the ground first, the stuff that you say, if I, if I don't hold on to this, I don't know if there's gonna be second fruits. I think it's an example of practical trust. The way that we, the way, the way that we treat our finances shows practical, a practical example of, of trust in the Lord. That's why there are so many warnings against loving money in God's word because it's a replacement God for the one that we should trust in. And there's a lot of facets we could go into this, but it seems like at the, at the very, in the very biggest picture that he's calling his son to is let God rule your life. Trust in him with all your heart. Don't lean in your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways, even in the ways that you use your money. Acknowledge him in that. Or maybe especially in the ways that you use your money. Show others that you're not afraid of, of the future because your confidence is in the Lord with your finances. And this can be such a trap for us. Inflation, all that, 
lots of opportunities to worry and to, 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 to not say to God, you're valuable in this. I'm actually gonna be fearful right now. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce and it's gonna be good. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Now, now here's the two, um, I've got two skeptics for you. I'll put them in your head. You don't have to put them in your own head. First skeptic says, you're just treating God like a vending machine. Isn't that what he's telling us to do? I want more, of, more blessing, so I just gotta put in the right coins, the right coins of trust, and God will pour out his blessings on me. All the, all the, all the vats, all the barns, full. That's the first skeptic. And then the second skeptic says, how's that true? My life is in shambles right now. Am I not trusting in the Lord? Because we know that life is, that there's suffering, that there's heartache, that there are unfathomable challenges that you're all going through. Disease, loss, lost your job, investment went out the window. Those are the two skeptics. And for those two skeptics, I think verses 11 and 12 is, is here. So let's look at those and spend some time here. In other words, the sixth command, we just went through five, the sixth command is the grounds for our understanding of how God's blessings are offered to us. They confirm that he's trustworthy. They confirm that he is good. They confirm that he's the right path to really a good life, a really good life. My son, do not, this is verse 11, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father in the son, in, uh, the son in whom he delights. Now, this is interesting. It's not, you see the promise there at the bottom? It's a clarification. It's an explanation. It's a statement that, that helps us understand the first five commands and promises. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves or disciplines him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. So what happens? What do we do with this? All right, I, I, I really think if we, if we wanna understand, if we wanna answer those skeptics in our heads, those two, the one that says, <coughs> you're just saying God's a vending machine, Sam. And the one that says, my life is not going the way I thought it should be. This grounds those five promises in, in rock solid truth that helps us see what life is really all about. See what the goal is, see what the right path is in all things. It draws us into the world, the whole world, 
and see God's hand and God's plan in the whole world. That's what this last command is doing. What's he saying? He's saying that follow, trust, hold fast. That's what he first said. And now he transitions and he's saying, my son, when God disciplines you, what should you not do? Despise, despise it. And when he corrects you or he reproves you, don't be weary of it. That sounds like hard times. In Hebrews 12, I think we'll have it on the screen, the the author to Hebrews uses this same passage to encourage the saints that are suffering. Consider him, consider Christ who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So this is the, the writer to these people that are undergoing hardship. He says in verse four, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. He's quoting Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. It's the, it's the translation from the Septuagint, the uh, Greek translation of the Old Testament. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom a father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Wow. So the, the, the author of Hebrews is taking this passage, which we've just taken right after he's promised, do this, good. Do this, great. And then we get to this passage about God's discipline and reproof, and the author of Hebrews helps us see that he's pointing us to further trust in God. He's grounding our whole life in the fact that God is trustworthy. So much to the point that he says that if God God disciplines you, if something comes into your life that you don't want, if some hardship comes into your life that you could despise or be weary of, He says, don't despise him. Don't be weary of him. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves. Like a father, the son in whom he delights. In other words, this is the ground, like I said, for all of life. So we can look at the whole world and see, this is my father's world. Even when cancer, even when suffering, even when things happen that we don't understand, that don't look like the five command promises. God uses all of life for our good. 
and his discipline and his reproof, we should not despise, we should not be weary of, we should not reject then in, in response because we, if, we who trust in the Lord, if you take the path that, that, that God calls you to, if you follow Christ, you can see that, that his discipline is actually a form of love to propel you into holiness. Trust in the Lord. It's a goal. The goal behind that last section is that we would trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord when it's going great and trust in the Lord when it's, when from our perspective, it doesn't seem like it's going great. When it looks like discipline and when it looks like reproof, we are called to trust, trust, trust in the Lord. And we can trust in the Lord even in discipline because it says he loves us like a father. First John 4.10 says, and this is love. If you ever ask yourself, how do I know that I'm loved? This discipline does not look like love, God. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. God has loved you greatly. He sent his son to be the propitiation of, your, of, of, of our sins. So it's not like a, a, a general kind of love that, that we can just see in all the world. You, you, you get, there's a di- difference between general love and specific love, right? General love is the rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. General love is everybody wants good to have happen in their life. Everybody would love to have vats overflowing, barns, healing to your bones, long life. Everybody wants that. This is a specific love. This is a love that, that is only given and only received by those who trust in the Lord. A specific, special love. A love that, from God, that, that, that is offered and proclaimed and we proclaim it. God loved you, God loved you. He sent his son to die for you. This is the special love of God. The love that calls, um, that, that allows us to call God Father in Galatians, uh, Galatians 4. You can call out to God as a father now, just like this father to his son. Do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the, the Lord is reproving you because he loves you. So we, can, so we can take all of it together. We can take and understand that these five promises, I'm gonna hold fast to those. Summary, if I, if I follow, if I trust in the Lord, it's gonna be good. And then I, I can add on the sixth command and believe 
If I trust in the Lord, even when my own understanding tells me this isn't good, God tells me it's good. It is good. He's using it for a purpose. He's driving me to confidence in him, further trust in him. And so we are called to trust. So to that skeptic, so the skeptic that says, well, what if my life is in shambles? The answer that you can give to your, your suffering brother or sister in Christ is no matter your circumstances, you're loved by God. And he is working this for good. Don't give up on him. Don't despise him. Despising him, that's not trusting. We can say that too. And to the one who is not a Christian, maybe the neighbor, you can say, do you want life in the midst of your suffering? Do you want true life, real life, the best life pointing you to the, 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 the true path that, that, is, that is headed to, to glory, the true path for which you were made? Trust in the Lord. Give your life to him. And he will give you all things. He who did not spare his own son, this is Romans eight thirty two, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also graciously give us all things? In Christ you have all things. And to the skeptic that, that says, does this make me treat God like a vending machine? That, you know, again, is this just about retribution? If I do good, I'm gonna get good. It's clearly not because God disciplines the one he loves. So if, you, if you're going into this thinking, I just, I just have to do good and I'm gonna get good in, 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 in response. There's verse, verses 11 through 12 for you. God disciplines, God reproves. This is not prosperity messaging. He's not a vending machine. It could, you could read this and treat it like God's your, 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 your great glorious vending machine that's gonna give you the things that you want as long as you, but for a Christian, those blessings that he gives, what are they gonna do? They're gonna drive you actually to further trust, further confidence, further hope in God. That's the goal. The goal of the blessing is to see how great he is. And the goal of the discipline is to see that he is, is working in all things for your good, even when it doesn't seem good. The Christian perspective can see all of life. I can see good, I can see bad, and I can see that, that, that it's, I'm under his kingdom. I'm part of his, I'm part of his plan. It's like seeing the world in color and everybody else is walking around in black and white. So you're gonna, so you're gonna go through life and, and if you're outside of Christ, you're gonna see suffering happen and you're gonna get miserable. You're gonna wanna give up. The Christian can see that and see, oh, God's actually working out a, a better plan. He's actually calling me into something better. The people that take the other path, whether it's the one that, is, that, that's, that has suffering happen or wants something from God, 
um, when, when, when discipline happens, they despise the Lord's reproof and they, they, they be weary of, they, they despise his discipline and they be weary of his reproof. No faculty to see bad things as good. No, no ability to see. It's, it's, all, it's all for that one goal of, of uh, wealth, prosperity, love, family. If any of those things are not attained, my life is in shambles. But as a Christian, I can see that God has everything in store for me. He is giving he is offering me totally something good. And even when I am disciplined, I can see that he is using that to draw me closer to because it's because he loves me so that I would further trust in him. So the Christian response then is to see the, the hardship and say, I know that you're good. I know that you will work this out. Let us be, let this be our, our prayer to seek for the true good life, the life that surrenders, trusts in the Lord and even, even trusts the Lord when discipline, when reproof happen. That's, that's the path to the really good life, the true good life. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the gift of your son. You did not you did not spare your own son. You offered him up for us all. And you've offered us true life. Truly. True happiness. A happiness that is founded in you. I just want you The gifts that you give God point to your greatness and, and are returned back to you. Thank you for the son that he came and he died for us. In Christ's name we pray, amen.